chapter number 2, verses 15 and 16 is what I will read from tonight. My subject this evening is resisting a worldly view of faith. Resisting a worldly view of faith. Because we are bombarded with a worldly philosophy almost every time we turn around. And we have to resist this. And I'm going to take some things tonight, and I'm going to talk about how the world views it and contrast that with how the church needs to view that. Philippians 2, 15 and 16. The Bible says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I, might, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain. And if you were to read verse number 16 in the NIV, I don't know if we have that back there or not, but if we do, maybe we can get on the screen. Philippians 2.16 in the NIV says, maybe this helps you understand what Paul is saying just a little bit better. As ye hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. I've got a message that I may preach one of these days. I've just kind of been carrying it around because I haven't felt really a release to preach it yet. Um, but I may preach it one of these days, and it is a preacher's greatest nightmare preacher's greatest nightmare and uh, and believe it or not it's not that he gets to church one Sunday and nobody else has shown up although that that's probably up there um, the preacher's greatest nightmare to me is to spend his life trying to preach the gospel and trying to share the word of the Lord and ground people in that word of God um, and then for something to happen in and those to wander away. And that that would be a that'd be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? It'd be a horrible thing. And that's what Paul, that's basically what he is saying here. He said, I want you to hold on to the word of life that I can rejoice in the day of Christ. Um and and, and know that I didn't do what I have done. I didn't run. I did not labor in vain. I didn't do it for nothing. But there is a return on the investment that I have made into the lives of the people of God. And, and I think that's what all of us want. I think, obviously, as a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, that's what I want. Um, but I think it, it, it's more than that. It's what I want as a dad. It's what I want as a husband. I think it's what you should want as a parent or a spouse for your family, M man or woman. It's... You should want it to be that you have invested your life in this thing and that you were able to give it to those around you in such a way that you didn't do it for nothing. Can you say amen? Amen. Wouldn't you just feel like a success if you got to heaven and you had, a, you had your family around you and, and you could say, Lord, I brought my family with me to heaven. Wouldn't that feel wonderful? Absolutely. And so we strive for that. So um, because of this, Paul is saying... Um, I'm, I'm trying to get you to the point that you can be blameless and harmless without rebuke, all the while you are in the midst of, you are surrounded by a crooked 
and a perverse nation. And that word perverse doesn't just mean um, uh, sexual immorality that we would think of it as today, although that it can be part of it. That word perverse means to distort what God has given and to make it something that it is not. That is a perversion of what God gave that was right and it was good and it was holy and it was perfect when it was given to us. And that's well, I, that's why I need to be careful I don't get ahead of myself. <laughs> there are two questions that we must answer before we can be qualified to correct any of the distortions of God's Word in our society. Um, first question is this. Is the Bible true just because I believe it? And the answer to that is no. Because the second question tells us what, how we should really perceive this. And that is, or do I believe the Bible because it's true? The Bible's not just true because I believe it. I believe the Bible because the Bible is true. It's not what my belief system is not what validates or invalidates this book. You okay? My belief system will never be the determining factor on what is or is not correct in and about the Word of God. And so... Uh, we have to understand that we believe the Bible because it is true. And, and here's uh, something that you should hold on to. This helps you. This helps you because now you don't have to try to, to, to make spur-of-the-moment decisions on what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. You've got a major religious institution called the Catholic Church that... that I mean, over the hundreds of, in hundreds of years they've been around, they are constantly modifying and codifying the things that they believe about the Bible. And, and they, are, they are making judgments. Uh, as things come up, they are making judgments based upon their thought processes on what would be acceptable to God and what would not be acceptable to God. I read an article just the other day that says the Pope... Has now um, ha- has now granted to priests the ability to forgive for abortions. Anybody else read this article? The Pope has said, "I grant you the ability to forgive people for," and, and it really doesn't matter what it is. I can't forgive anybody for things done against God. <laughs> it, it don't matter how good a preacher you are doesn't matter where you come from. That's beyond my pay grade. I am not the great shepherd. I am the under-shepherd. And, and so um, when you get into this stuff, it, it, it is amazing what some people believe that humanity can do to affect the words of God. Uh, but I've got news for you. And, and, and I'm not saying God doesn't forgive abortion. Absolutely God will forgive abortion. What I am saying is... It's not, my, uh, it's not my forgiveness to give. It's His forgiveness to give. Um, th- this, this, is, this is only things that He can do. And, and so when we repent um, and, and we turn from some uh, sin in our lives and, and from uh, 
directions that we are going that are not correct directions. We are totally relying on the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God to move into our lives and to help us from that point forward. If you base your your belief system upon what Pastor O'Connell can do for you, then you're going to have a very weak belief system because I can't do much for you. I can't do much for you. Um, The best thing I can do for you is to point you and say, there's Jesus, and let's just go to him, and let's let him take care of it, let him handle it, let's put it in his hands. That's the greatest thing I can do for you is to point you to Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said that I, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't, don't come tell me about every... Boy, this would be a good, good scripture for pastors who, who are getting covered up with counseling sessions right here. Um, I determined to know nothing among you. <laughs> I might be a little bit taking that out of context. Okay, but, but just indulge me a minute. I'm not saying a pastor doesn't counsel and doesn't want to counsel. What I am saying is that sometimes we're trying to put, put pressure upon a person uh, to help us get through something that only God can help us get through. I mean, it, it's just the way it is. And, and so we keep pointing toward Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. So the Bible is true. The Word of God is true regardless of who believes it. Just because somebody does not believe this book does not mean this book is not true. Just because they don't believe this book doesn't mean that it's not true for them and it can still be true for me. It is true for me and it is true for them whether they accept that or not. Throughout history, Christian movements, and this is kind of what I'm dealing with and giving you the example of the Catholic Church recently, Christian movements have responded to changing world cultures and, and wherever you live, if it's America, if it's Europe, or uh, if it's Asia, or if it's Africa, um, there, are, there are different cultures um, that surround you in different places. And even in one place, there can be many subcultures that are affecting you. Would you agree with that? And so... Um, because of that, Christianity has responded to changing world cultures that have been detrimental to the social and the spiritual development of their particular generation. These movements have helped to shape the church's view on many issues, including what is foundational to true Christianity. And when I say that, I am referring to true Christianity, and I am not referring to just cultural Christianity. All right? So I am talking to you about resisting a worldly view of faith. Faith in God, the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Um, uh, Over time, we have seen that which is called Christian begin to modify itself for all kinds of different situations and scenarios, haven't we? It is it is just become an increasingly um uh I don't know if I'm gonna say this word right, so if I don't, forgive me, but it is a, an increasingly 
metamorphosizing. Did I get it right? Oh, come on now. <laughs> that does deserve a hand clap. It's an increasingly metamorphosizing thing that Christianity has become because it's always having to morph to deal with, to find a way of acceptance for things that it did not previously embrace. And so you give it time. We, we're living in the year 2016, moving into 2017. You just give it 20 more years, and you, we're going to look back, and you're going to hear me. You've heard me preach this before. We're seeing things now that 20 years ago would have blown our minds. And you're going to hear me 20 years from now, should the Lord tarry, and I'll say the same thing. We're seeing things now that 20 years ago would have blown our minds. Because things will, and, and it's not going to try to, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to tell you um, the, the direction that we are headed and the slope that we have begun a, a dreadful slide down is, is, is not heading in a different direction um, outside of there being an absolutely supernatural uh, interference by the Spirit of God. And I'm not saying that cannot happen, but I am saying that there are things that do have to happen in order for Christ to come rapture his church out of here. So there are some things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always believe and I'm always going to preach and say that we can turn some things around. I believe one church can change a city. If Sodom and Gomorrah would have had one church of ten people, it would have saved the people of that city. There's power in a small church. All they needed was one church of ten people, and God would. So one church can make a difference in in a particularly a particular community. However, uh, there are things that must needs come to pass in order for God to rapture this church out of here. So as that slide continues, we have to make sure that we stand up and say, "I will not allow myself." my family, or my church, I will not allow us to, to go into a place that we, cannot, uh, that we cannot remain steadfast on the things that are found in the Word of God. Can you say amen? Amen. So, uh, if, you, if you look at where we are right now in 2016, it is very obvious that there are two things happening simultaneously. One is that the church is doing a work in the world. I thank God for that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see what God's doing in this, in this uh, late day. Um, we can still work while there is day and as the night begins to approach. Um, however, while the church is doing a work in the world, it is also obvious that the world is doing a work in the church. And it is possible for those two things to happen at the same time in the same church. You hear me? All right. It is possible for the church to be doing a work in the world while the world is doing a work in the church. This is why it is so important that we, that, that, that we continue to teach and preach the things that have, that have brought us to where we are. Now... I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna say something here, and and it's me talking about how I'm gonna pastor this church, the way I feel God's told me to pastor this church, and and I'm not the pastor of every other church, and so that's their business how they pastor. 
but what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you something that another pastor told me of how he thinks it should be done, and I'm going to tell you why I disagree with it. And I'm not going to tell you where that church is. I'm just going to tell you it's somewhere um, north, south, east, or west of here. <laughs> All right? And not in Arkansas. How's that? There's discussion being had, and uh, one of the things in St. Louis that I'm involved with um, in this church planning venture that they're, that they're trying to get off the ground um, is one of the things they're wanting to be real solid about is they said, we need to make sure that we have church planners who are apostolic church planners. They're not just people out for our money to start a church that they want to take charismatic and, and they want to take it in another direction. He's, our, our director, Brother, Brother uh, Jimmy Tony said, uh, he said, I am, I am frustrated through the years that I have seen guys come along and take uh, funds and take support from the United Pentecostal Church only to get to a point and say, all right, thank you, you got us here, now we're cutting you loose and we're going to go do our own thing. He said, we're going to make sure that these people believe this message. He said, if they don't believe, he said, if I just have a bad feeling in my gut, he said, if they say everything right, and I've just got a bad feeling in my gut, he said, um, we're not going to do it because we need apostolic church planners. And, and so uh, one of the things we talked about is we want these people to not be afraid to, to talk about things like holiness in their churches. Because if we never talk, and I understand there's growth stage and growth process for every saint of God that comes in the church. And, and I don't think that you try to shove a steak down the mouth of a baby that's still drinking milk. Okay? I don't think that. At the same time, I don't think that we always act like all people can handle is milk either. Now, isn't that just as valid and true? And so... Um, this one pastor made the statement. He said that, uh, he said, I don't believe you ought to ever teach publicly things that, ha- that pertain to holiness um, because, because it's just too uh, divisive. And he said, I will only do that in a situation where somebody comes to me and they're wanting to be more involved in the church and I can do it one-on-one with them. Um, he said, I'll do that, but I don't think it should ever be taught publicly uh, in the church. And and uh, I, I just, I don't agree with that, okay? Um, I, I do think one-on-one is a great opportunity to say things. And, 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 it's, and it, it, it is probably the best opportunity to, to get to say some things to somebody who has some questions. Because they can ask their questions and they don't feel like everybody's around them, you know? They, they can, and, and that's wonderful, that's great, no problem with that. However, I also believe there has to be public corporate teaching on these things. We believe in one God and we talk about it. We believe in Jesus' name, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and we talk about it. We believe in mercy and grace and we talk about it. We believe in giving and we talk about it. Why, if, if I believe holiness is this important, why would I not talk about it? So you can, you can do this. You can talk about these things in a way that doesn't hurt everybody. You've heard me pastor this church for six years. I don't think anybody would ever walk out of here saying Pastor O'Connell um, was, was, was harmful in the way that he taught that or, or 
presented that to our church. I don't try to hurt anybody. I'm not, I don't want to lose one person. Um, at the same time, we've got to grow the church. And so uh, if, we don't, if we don't begin to approach some things, what's going to happen is people are going to come in the church, and while the church is doing a work in the world, they're going to come in, and their influence is going, because they don't hear these things taught, their influence is going to be, begin to do a work in the church. All right? I mean, it's just common sense. And so, it is important that while we are doing a work in the world, that we make sure that we also do not allow the world to do a work in the church. And, and there will always be, there will always be friction. We're doing real good right now. There is always going to be friction between these two things. Because we need people coming in. And when people come in, people are always going to have their way they look at it um, that is not going to jive with what you have been taught about it. And there's going to be friction there. How do you deal with that? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you how we deal with that. We deal with that lovingly, kindly, with mercy. We understand that people aren't just always, they're not always just trying to resist you. They're resisting a, a, they're resisting a change that is trying to take place within them. And, and change only happens under extreme circumstances. Oh my goodness, the Holy Ghost is helping me tonight, y'all. Listen, if you want to take a piece of metal and you want to take it from that hardened state to something that is malleable, what do you have to do to it? You've got to put it under intense heat. It's never going to be able to be changed unless there is some intense heat applied to it. And so it takes extreme circumstances to get something to the point where it can change a little bit, right? Okay, so you have to give people the opportunity for God to apply to them the kind of pressure that they need in order for them to be changed into his likeness. And it will take time. It will take time. And we will let them have that time. doesn't mean I'm going to quit preaching it. it. What it does mean is that they may not always get it and understand what I'm saying on some of those things while I'm saying it, but you do. And it lets the church know we cannot, we cannot allow their pressure that they come from the world to exert an, an influence on us that changes us we have to stand strong and wait on God to change them. And there's always friction between those two. Just know this. That friction will never, until the Lord comes and raptures us away, that friction will never go away. It will never, ever go away. If it does go away, we got a problem. Because it's just us four no more. And... and so, we're all right tonight, aren't we? Um, so, let's, let's hold on. Let's be who we are. 
as, as, as a church grows, and particularly as this church grows, you're going to feel that pressure from time to time. And you're going to, you're going to be drawn at times. The Bible says that we are drawn away of our own lusts. Can you, can you pull up that scripture, drawn away, might be the best, um, best way to search that. Are you all all right tonight? But every man, when, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We are drawn at times by our own fleshly lusts. That does not just, again, that does not just mean sexual immorality. That's, lust is in a lot of areas, y'all. Okay? So whatever that lust is that begins to pull you and draw you, you have to be able to stand up against it. You have to be able to stand up. Because if you don't stand up against it, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is when we are drawn away from what we know is good, from what we know is right, we are leaving a place of safety and we are moving into a place of sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's not talking about spiritual death or, or physical death. That's talking about a spiritual death. Sin always leads to spiritual death when sin is not dealt with and not, uh, not handled correctly. And so we've got to be so careful that we are not allowing our own lust to draw us into things because when, when somebody who doesn't understand all the things that God yet comes in and for that whatever period of time it is that God's working on them, they're doing things that, and, and you don't see me you know, come to them. Maybe if it was you, I'd say, hey, let's go sit down and have a talk together about some of these things. But you don't see me do that with them. And, and you say, well, I guess that's okay. You're, you're allowing your lust to do something or be some way, begin to draw you in a certain direction. You've got to stand against that. And that's why I'm teaching like I'm teaching tonight. I'm saying, let us build in our spirit safeguards that say, I will, because right now while I'm saying this, everybody in here is on board. Aren't we? Everybody's saying, man, this, is, this sounds good to me. Let's do this. Let's hold on. But there will come a time when something will come to you and it will want to draw you away. And you have to determine now that when that time does come, it doesn't matter how good it feels. It doesn't matter how good it looks. When Eve saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eye, that it was desired to make one wise and that it looked good. She, it was lust of the flesh, lust, lust of the eye. And uh, pride of life. And, and she said, it, all three, and, and, and she saw that, she wanted it. She wanted it. What should have happened is, before she ever was put in that situation, she should have made up her mind that if that day ever comes that that was presented to me, I'll never do it. I'll never do it. And we've got to make up in our mind that before those things are ever put in front of us, and they will be. They will be. Even Jesus was tempted. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread. You've been fasting 40 days, you're hungry. Lust of the eye. 
worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Pride of life, throw yourself down off this temple. The angels will bear you up. He was tempted in all three, but Jesus had already made the commitment, I will not fail. Now, let me ask you a question. Who, pray tell, is our example? Jesus. And you can hold on. And you can stand strong when those things come. And they will. You can stand strong. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's clap our hands and give the Lord praise. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do here because... I'm in about the first paragraph of my notes tonight. And I got a whole lot more. Not again. Because <laughs> I'm just going to you know, give you a little hope. I'm not going to go through everything I was going to go through. Because what we're doing right now, I, I believe God's in it. I, I really do. I feel, I feel the Holy Ghost leading us tonight. And so um, I, I just want to hit some of these things that, I, that are just incredibly important to how we believe. Um, the things that we believe about who Jesus Christ is, that he is God manifest in flesh, the things we believe about the infallibility of Scripture, the things we believe about the resurrection of Christ, and the things we believe about being born again, the things we believe about living a separated life, these are central, they are crucial, and they are, they are non-negotiable pillars of our faith. Now, a worldly view of faith is going to say that all of these things are subject to change. Let me show you, let me show you how, how our mindset things okay if we're having difficulty there don't worry about it. it'll be all right we'll get to it let me show you how our western mindset thinks because we grew up in the united states of america and we believe in a certain we kind of have a certain paradigm through which we view fairness through which we view uh things that are true uh, and how they're true, all of that stuff, okay? We've got a paradigm for that. And I'm telling you that our paradigm uh, very rarely matches up with the Bible paradigm. All right? Here's what, let me give you an example. Um, and, and, I, and I am thank. How many are thankful for the con- Constitution of the United States of America? Um, Brother Hurst, you served. Uh, Brother uh, Linscombe, you served. Has anybody else in here served? In military, or when when you when when you took your oath, one of the things that you committed to do is to be faithful and true to the Constitution of the United States of America, to protect the Constitution. So it's a it is a valuable document to us. Matter of fact, it's been described this way as a living and breathing document. That's how it's been described, and uh, to. To the extent that because it is living and breathing, it can, it can develop and it can change. And so over the years, uh, over the 200 and coming on 50 years now of, of us having this document, 
it has changed. And, and now, things that did, did not happen 200 years ago that would have been deemed unconstitutional, now they're deemed constitutional because there has been change take place. And it has been affirmed by the three areas of government, the, uh, the uh, legislative branch, the executive branch, and up, upheld by the uh, judicial branch. All right? But it has changed over time. And uh, you see, we see this happening really constantly. And there's always battles going on about the Constitution and about the Supreme Court. As a matter of fact, in this election, a whole lot was said about by people that I am voting for the future of the Supreme Court. That was brought up over and over and over again. Because as the court leans... Our nation tends to lean. And, and so uh, we're seeing all of this change want to begin to take place. Um, well, that may happen in American politics, but that does not happen in the Word of God. This book is a living and breathing book. But this living, breathing book is not a changing book. The God who authored this book said, I am God and I change not. So everything else may change. And, and, and according to our laws, okay, it changes. But this book don't change. Now, that creates a problem because we're raising generations that, are, that, that believe in something that can change. And we are, we are a more liberal nation than we ever dreamed we would have been there's just no denying that okay so we're a more liberal nation than we ever would have imagined and it has shifted and it has created a culture of change and and really that that liberal bent has become the driving force in our culture and so you got a generation coming along that thinks we can change things that are important things that are steadfast things that we believed in all our lives it, you know, I may have believed that yesterday, but I'm changing how I think, believe it now. So let's change that and make it different from what it used to be. And thank God for some change. You know, at one point, women couldn't vote in this country. They need to be able to vote. At one point, this country was segregated. That's a sin. We don't need to be segregated. And so you've got, you've got all of those those things needed to change. But we're not just changing those things, which are... Well, I didn't know I was going to get into all this. <laughs> those issues needed to change. But then we're, they're, trying to tie, they're trying to tie those things. Uh, they're trying to piggyback things like the homosexuality issue on the back of uh, the segregation civil rights movement issues and the women's rights issues, and they're trying to piggyback that on this, saying it's the same. And I'm going to tell you, it's not the same. It's not the same. Okay? But in their mind, it is. Because they came up under this ever-changing thing. And our... our uh, 
challenge is that we are having to stand against a tide of people that are coming along saying, it's okay, we don't feel that way anymore, let's just change it. Okay, well, if you're going to change that in politics, okay, I, I don't want to go that way. And, and, and probably over the, if the Lord tarries and, and, and I go from being 34 to, to, to 94 years old, would that be, Lord, if that happens, let me be able to get around still. Okay, if I go from 34 to 94 and we keep going that way, I may not like it, but I'll have to lump it. That's an old saying. You can like it or you can lump it. Okay? I'll just have to deal with it. But, but when it comes to this book, I have to be able to stand up and say, now look, you can, if you want to change your political views, change your political views. But we don't change the theology, the doctrine of the Word of God. And that's where, that's where we are now. We're trying to hold back and stand up and say, you can't bring that mindset of change into the church that says, that says the world's going to change the church. No, 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 no. It never works that way. It doesn't work that the world changes the church. It works that God works through the church to change the world. And so we've got to stand up at some point and say, this is who we are. This is what we will believe. Clap your hands again and give the Lord praise. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, whatever happens in politics, um, at the end of the day, that doesn't change your salvation, affect your salvation. But if you start changing things with, about this book, that affects your salvation. So you, you can't afford to mess around with this. You can't afford to try to rewrite this or, or put your slant on this or your bent on this. You have to look at this book. Take it for what it is. Take it for what it is. Don't try to... This is the beauty of it. You don't have to make it up as you go along. You've got directions for everything that you'll ever face. It's already there. Hallelujah. 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 So if, if people rise up even in apostolic churches and they begin to say, well, I just don't know that, that this book is completely accurate. You better stand up and say, oh, yes, it is. And if somebody rises up and says, well, you know, the resurrection, I think that's more figurative than it is literal. You better stand up and say, no, 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 he really did get up. If somebody says, well, being born again, you know, I believe Acts 2.38 is a good way to be born again, but I don't think it's the only way to be born again. You better stand up and say, oh, no, it's the only way. There's only one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is why Jude said in Jude 1.3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence... To write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
It is the salvation that we share in common. And there is only one salvation. There are not multiple salvations. There is not a salvation through Christianity and a salvation through any other religion. There is only one salvation. It is the one that we share in common. Celebrating that one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If Jesus is the way, that means every other way is not a way. If Jesus is the truth, that means any other truth is not a truth. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is why Jude said, you ought to earnestly contend for the faith. You don't need to go around beating people up about what you believe. But you need to be able to stand for what you believe. I don't believe I walk in Walmart and beat somebody over the head and say, you need to believe it like me. You need to believe it like me. If you do that, don't tell them you come to this church. I will tell them I never saw you, never heard of you. You say, well, you'll be lying. Well, I'll be like Jesus. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. (laughs) You come walking up to me, pastor, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. (laughs) You don't beat somebody up with it, but when somebody tries to tell you this isn't right and this isn't true, you stand for it. And you earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is the faith, meaning one faith. It is once delivered, meaning it's not ever going to change. And it's not ever going to be rewritten and delivered again. This is that faith. Hallelujah. And Jude said, you got to fight for this. I'm writing to you because it is important for you to fight for the foundations of the Christian faith. We know that the book of Acts is known to us as the Acts of the Apostles. But in the same manner, there's too many people that are giving in to this shifting tide of a worldly view of faith. They're giving in to this tide, the shifting tide. And no longer is it the Acts of the Apostles for them, but it's become the Acts of the Apostates. An apostate is one who walks away from something. And so... This church needs to be a book of Acts church. This needs to be an Acts of the Apostles church, not an Acts of the Apostates church. We're not walking away from it. We're going to hold on to it. Amen. Amen. So culture is going to rise up against it. The prevailing customary beliefs, social norms, and material traits of social groups. They're going to rise up against this. Culture is going to, to, and and here's what makes it tough to stand against culture. Culture is what is prevailing. Prevailing. What does prevailing mean? It means it is what has the upper hand. It's what is pushing and driving everything else. And there is a prevailing culture. And I got news for you. What I'm preaching about tonight, being a book of Acts church, that is not the prevailing culture of the of the time, country, place we live in. And so there's a prevailing. So that means.
to, to, we've got to understand that is the prevailing thing. So you will, you will always be, and Jesus dealt with this, you will always be in the minority. You're always going to be in the minority when it comes to standing for the things of God. You're always going to be in the minority. Because narrow is the way and straight is the gate that leadeth to salvation. But broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. So, we're having to, to maintain our stance on that path. All the while, people around you are saying, Hey, hey, that's silly. Come over here. Hey, you don't need to live that way. Come over here. Hey, that's outdated. Come over here. It don't take all that. Come over here. And, and pushing and pushing. And it's going to be tempting because it's a prevailing culture. And you're going to feel like you are standing against people who, who, who are level-headed people. Common sense people that you've known. Some of them have walked away and you've known them and you love them and you know they love you. And yet you're having to stand against people who, who, who have joined the tide of the broad way. And you have to stand there and say, I know you're on that way. And I know that you look at me and you think I'm crazy. And sometimes I've wondered if I'm not crazy myself. But I am making a commitment to stay on the narrow way that God has given to me. You've got to hold on. It's like that wave. It's like standing, has anybody here ever stood a little ways out in the ocean when a, when a wave come along? And, and you stand out there, and here comes the wave, and it, it don't look very big. And, and you think, okay, I'll, I'll just stand here. And you stand there, and the wave goes by you, and you think, I'm okay. And then all of a sudden, it starts to pull back, and you feel it begin to pull against you. And, and you thought, how in the world did that? That was just a little bit of water. That was just a small wave. And yet it pulled me. Every day we live, we are being hit by waves that try to pull us. And, and if they can just get us a little bit out, a little bit farther, the enemy's going to keep working because of it. he knows if he can keep pushing us out a little bit, one of these days, it's going to get that wave will be big enough. It's going to knock our feet out from under us. And we're going to get pulled out to sea. We must stand. We must stand. So we don't just stand on shifting sand. If you build your house on the sand, it's coming down. But if you build on the rock, if you build. That rock is Christ. If you build on the rock that is Jesus Christ, you will, you will get hit, but you can stand. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand right here together tonight. Let's just begin to worship God. I feel like the Lord's been in this house tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
Let me tell you something. This kind of teaching and preaching, this is what will keep us saved. And I thank you for receiving it. Because I've felt that here tonight. I thank you for receiving it. We need this. We need this. I need. I needed this tonight. I needed this tonight. And here's why. The old song said it. And we'll, we'll finish tonight singing this song together. For above all else, I must be saved. For above all else, I must be saved. And whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity, for above all else, I must be saved. One more time. For above all else, I must be saved. For above all else, I must be saved. So whatever have to do to me don't let me be lost for eternity for above all else.